Hey everyone, let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for a new week. Thank you for the ability to meet together online through our, our webcams and through uh, the internet and the ability to share your word with one another, Lord. We're so grateful to be living in this time and not in another time when we would have been totally alone. So we thank you, God, for the ways that you have mercy on us and we continue to pray for mercy for our city and our province and our country as we go through this together pray you'd open your word to us today and that we would learn something about you and grow closer to you through this time. Amen. So we are in a series called Wherever You Go and this is week six and we are talking about Joseph. We are talking about some of the important characters of the Old Testament and who they are and how important they are to what happens in the Bible and how they relate to Jesus and just a whole lot of these things. So this week we're talking about Joseph. Now, Joseph is the last story of Genesis. His story starts in chapter 37 and it runs all the way to chapter 50, which is the last chapter of Genesis. Well, actually, Joseph appears a little bit sooner. His birth is recorded in Genesis chapter 30, and uh, that seems like as good a place as any to start a story. So Genesis chapter 30, verse 22 to 24, then God remembered Rachel. Remember the Rachel from last week? He listened to her and enabled her to conceive. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son and said, God has taken away my disgrace. She named him Joseph and said, may the Lord add to me another son. Joseph doesn't appear again though until chapter 37. And there's an interesting difference. Chapter 36, verse one, begins, this is the account of the family line of Esau. And then it's a genealogy, you know, it's the begats. It's then Esau begat so-and-so and so-and-so -so begat la-la-la, right? Like it, that's, how, that's how chapter 36 goes. But chapter 37, verse two says, this is the account of Jacob's family line. And after, but there's no genealogy after that. It's a story. And we get, that's where we get Joseph's story. And I, I thought that was a really interesting difference. It's like the Bible is maybe trying to tell us who is the main character between the two, between Jacob and Esau. Hmm? Just a little, little clue there. So the story of jo Joseph, I keep calling him Jacob. The story of Joseph is a long story and I want to tell it all today. So I'm going to be summarizing a lot, or at least I'm going to hit the main points, but I encourage you to read it for yourself and to continue familiarizing yourself with God's story. So at the start of the story in Genesis chapter 37, Joseph is 17. And apparently he's a tattletale, which like, that's a weird thing for a pastor to say, I realize, right? Like a pastor complaining about a tattletale in verse two, like it's immediately brought up that Joseph does this. So his brothers don't like him very much. Also, Joseph is Jacob's favorite. And this is demonstrated through the gift of the Technicolor Dreamcoat which Jacob gives to Joseph. Feeling like a parent is playing favorites is an easy recipe for bitterness between siblings, right? We've all seen that, whether as parents or as children, feeling, feeling like somebody else is the favorite or, or like we're the favorite even. That's just a hard thing. So Joseph already has two strikes in his relationships with his brothers. He's a tattletale, he's the favorite, and then he has a dream. So let's start reading in verse five. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. 
His brothers said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. And when he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. So then jo Jacob sends Joseph to go check up on his brothers. And maybe because Joseph has already told on them but before, but geez, what a setup. Like Joseph already has how many strikes against him, and now he's being sent to check up on his brothers? So the fateful day comes, and the brothers decide to have their revenge. They take his beautiful coat, and they throw him down a cistern, which is like a well, but for collecting rain. They sell Joseph as a slave to some passing Ishmaelites, traders going through the area toward Egypt. They take the coat, they dip it in blood, they tear it up, and they take it to their father, who is devastated and thinks his son is dead, his favorite son. So then in Genesis chapter 39, Joseph is sold to a man named Potiphar. We don't know how long Joseph was with Potiphar, but we know he was 17 when he was sold into slavery, and when he was 30, he was made Prime Minister of Egypt. That's quite the turnaround in 13 years. So he's with Potiphar long enough for the man to recognize Joseph's character and ability, and Joseph is put in charge of his whole household. Things are going pretty well for Joseph. Let's read some more, chapter 39, starting in verse 6. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Good life, right? Now Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns has been entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me! But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Man, like, that's a great story. But that is the end of Joseph's easy time at Potiphar's house. The wife accuses him of trying to take advantage of her, and Potiphar has him thrown in prison. But the same thing happens in prison. Joseph finds favor with the prison warden and ends up being put in charge of some part of the prison, even though he is himself a prisoner. Side note here, I wanted to share with you something cool that I discovered in the Bible, because I want you to know that even I find new things when I read this book. Reading your Bible is always productive. You're never going to run out of stuff. There's, there's too much in it. But at the start of Genesis 40, Pharaoh puts his two servants in prison, the cupbearer and the baker. The Bible says in verse 3, and put them in the custody in the house of the captain of the guard. In the same prison where Joseph was confined, the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. Now, who is the captain of the guard? flip back to Genesis 39, verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. J 
Joseph never left Potiphar's house. I've always had it in my head that Joseph was at Potiphar's house, and then he gets thrown in prison, and he gets dragged off, and he's gone. But he was still there, because Potiphar was the one who put these other servants of Pharaoh into Joseph's care. He, he never really left. Now, let, let's be clear. This doesn't change anything about the common understanding of the story, right? Like, the, this doesn't, this isn't really anything. It's just a little detail that I never noticed. And it got me excited to understand the Bible a little more. And I, I thought maybe it would excite you too. So there's, you know, you can have your minute back if you didn't enjoy that. So back to the story. 11 years after being sold into slavery by his brothers, Joseph interprets dreams for two of Pharaoh's servants while he's in prison, which you know, he fully credits to God. And two years later, one of those servants brings Joseph to Pharaoh to interpret Pharaoh's troubling dreams. And this part of the story you're almost certainly familiar with. Joseph tells Pharaoh that there will be seven good years of plentiful harvest and then seven bad years where nothing will grow. And as a result, Joseph is put in charge of a building and construction project to store food, and he exceeds expectations. He basically gets made prime minister. The Bible says that the only person above him is Pharaoh. And the Bible says that in Genesis 41, 49, that Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain, like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. That's a lot of bread. So when the famine came, Joseph had the grain to take care of the people. Of course, Egypt isn't the only area affected by the famine. Jacob and his family back in Canaan are also affected. But word spreads fast and they hear that there's food in Egypt. The brothers are sent to Egypt to buy food and they are sent to Joseph. But they don't recognize him. And as we might say, hijinks ensue. Finally, Joseph reveals himself. Let's read that part, Genesis 45, verses 4 to 7. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve you, for you, a remnant on earth, and to save your lives by a great deliverance. And the rest, as they say, is history. Jacob and his family come down to Egypt, and there is food. They stay there for a long time, and we pick up the story of Israel's family next week. So, what can we learn from Joseph's story? Joseph is often held up as an example of a good and moral man. And, and not without reason, right? Like, especially the, the incident with Potiphar's wife. And this is often the case with Bible characters. But with most characters in the Bible, we put some caveats on that, right? Like, we talked a couple weeks ago about Abraham's sin with Hagar. And we heard last week about how Jacob treated Leah, or mistreated Leah. And the week before that, we talked about Jacob tricking and stealing from his brother and his father. David is another good example, a man known as one after God's own heart, and yet a terrible father and husband. Like some of the stuff that David gets up to after he becomes king is like, shocked that it's in the Bible. These are good people, and there are things for us to learn from them, but they're also very, very human and deeply flawed. So I want to be clear with us that Joseph has a flaw like this too. 
This is after Jacob and his other sons have already moved down to Egypt, and it's a part of Joseph's story that's often overlooked. I mean, I didn't read it just now. But in Genesis 47, verses 13 to 21, There was no food, however, in the whole region because the famine was severe. Both Egypt and Canaan wasted away because of the famine. Joseph collected all the money that was to be found in Egypt and Canaan in payment for the grain they were buying, and he brought it to Pharaoh's palace. When the money of the people of Egypt and Canaan was gone, all Egypt came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? Our money is all gone. Then bring your livestock, said Joseph. I will sell you food in exchange for your livestock, since your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and he gave them food in exchange for their horses, their sheep and goats, their cattle and donkeys. And he brought them through that year with food in exchange for all their livestock. When that year was over, they came to him the following year and said, We cannot hide from our Lord the fact that since our money is gone and our livestock belongs to you, there is nothing left for our Lord except our bodies and our land. Why should we perish before your eyes, we and our land as well? Buy us and our land in exchange for food, and we with our land will be in bondage to Pharaoh. Give us seed so that we may live and not die, and that the land may not become desolate. So Joseph bought all the land in Egypt for Pharaoh. The Egyptians, one and all, sold their fields because the famine was too severe for them. The land became Pharaoh's, and Joseph reduced the people to servitude from one end of Egypt to the other. I hear a lot of Christians today worried about government expansion of power, about fear and oppression and centralization of powers, right? Like, especially with the current health crisis. Well, Joseph did that. Like, Joseph was that guy. He took advantage of a, a crisis situation to centralize power and to take power away from the people and to make them fully dependent on the government. It's yet another reminder to us about not raising up humans into God's place and that although we can find help and inspiration, the only one that we can truly count on all the time is God. Joseph is a man who's been kicked around by life. Sold into slavery by his own family, in a strange land for 20 years, falsely accused of a crime and left to rot in prison. But there is a refrain that keeps coming up in his life. After being sold into slavery, at the start of chapter 39, he is brought to the house of Potiphar, an Egyptian who is one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Genesis 39 verse 2 starts with these words, The Lord was with Joseph. And those words make all the difference, don't they? In fact, I think Joseph was acutely aware of this fact. When Potiphar's wife comes to him, this is his response. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Joseph didn't just survive in slavery. He thrives because he knows whose he is. And then he is thrown in prison. And this has to be the low point of Joseph's life, right? He's been rejected by his family, taken to a distant land. He seemed to be doing all right, and then even that was taken from him. And worse, it was taken from him on completely false charges. But then we see those words again in Genesis 39, verses 20 and 21. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. 
Ultimately, Joseph saw his entire life through the lens of the presence of God. At the very end of Genesis, after Jacob has died and his brothers are afraid that Joseph will avenge himself, he says to them in Genesis 50 verse 20, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Isn't that how we need to see our lives? This is the promise that we've been given. Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 20, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He promises in Matthew 18 that where two or three are gathered in his name, he is with us. I'd say that's us right now. And what's more, you've been given the Holy Spirit as a seal and as a promise, the presence of God to go with you always, to speak with you, to comfort you, and to guide you. If Joseph's life could be so revolutionized by recognizing the presence of God and living through that, what could happen in your life? How can you go about your life today knowing that the Lord is with you? What strength will that bring? What determination? What's that thing that you've been afraid to do, that person you've been afraid to talk to, that place you've been afraid to go? I'll leave you in the story of Joseph with our theme verse from this series found in Joshua 1.9. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the story of Joseph. Thank you for the ways that Joseph inspires us and calls us to you. Thank you also for the stories about Joseph's humanity, that these people are not some unattainable goal, but they're, they're people with flaws and imperfections just like us, that we know that we too can be part of the story of God. We pray, Lord, that you would go with us as you've promised as we go into our weeks. Keep us healthy, keep us safe, Lord. Pray for our province that the vaccine rollout would continue. We pray that you would bring us back together soon. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks. Have a great week.